Welcome to Tigers by the Fire, a podcast out of Holy Cross High School about World War II discussions and stories. This is episode two of season three, and with me are Tristan and Christian, and we're going to be talking about Japanese medical experiments on POWs and uh, Chinese civilians as a part of Unit 731. And this is an interesting topic that I feel like a lot of people don't know a lot about. And I think that's kind of why you guys chose it. Most people have heard of like Mangala and the Holocaust and everything else. And this is something that is eerily similar and sometimes more disturbing. And so I figured I think it's a good topic. So who wants to lead us off? So the unit, a lot of people don't know about it, which I find insane because like you said, it's really similar to what some of the Nazis were doing, like Mangala. And if you ask me, a lot of the things they did were worse. They were doing a lot of disease injection and amputation, stuff like that. And a lot of people don't know it, but they trace back to the 1920s, way before any of the stuff with the war started. They weren't necessarily doing all of that stuff then, but they started around <clears throat> in 1925. Um, it started off as just a normal medical unit in Japan. Um, they were doing some pretty good stuff, actually. Um, they were really helping their soldiers, leading to some pretty decent medical advancements for the time, at least. Um but then one guy, Shiro Ishii, pretty smart dude. He, um, he went through college, um, insanely smart man. He became a, um, a microbiologist um, and a doctor in the military. Well, once he joined the unit, he got permission to start doing biological warfare research um he was cleared to start doing his own research on bio warfare which had been banned by the time he joined in the early 30s um and he he just wasn't satisfied with the types of experiments he was doing so he actually went to america for a few years and was able to conduct a few biological experiments over there. It's never really disclosed too, too well what he was doing over there because um, he didn't stay there for too long. He got back to Japan as quick as possible. And by the beginning of the war, he was, he was promoted to an officer and he used his power to change what the unit 731 was it became not really so much of this unit to help and heal people and more of just this terrible terrible unit that was killing every single person that went in there mainly chinese citizens that had been captured and taken to compound that they were using and just immediately began experimentation on. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting that you pointed out a couple things that 
the biological warfare stuff had really, after World War One, because of the use of chemical weapons, particularly gas weapons, um, the international community had kind of put a halt on that. But every country still invests in it. And to your point, they're gonna, the Japanese are gonna look into disease spreading. And as I'm sure you'll get into, they, they do like live dissections of people while they're alive and they want to see what the disease does to individual organs and everything else. And so it's, it's a crazy thing. And it's going to happen to primarily Chinese civilians, as you were saying. Okay. So uh, we also looked up a personal account from Tamuro Yoshio. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. But he was part of Unit 731, and he actually joined at 16 years old. So he's fairly young, which is kind of disturbing when you think about it. Uh, he was training at a medical college in Tokyo, and he stayed there. And at night, they learned Chinese before leaving for China to actually go see Unit 731, like the buildings they were doing experiments at. Um, so he describes the buildings as just straight, like two story buildings, just full concrete boxes. That was, that was what they looked like. It was very hidden and all the surrounding Chinese people who lived there were kicked out and they were used as forced labor, but they actually did experimentation on them. Uh, they were taught in such a way as to don't look, don't talk, don't listen, just move, don't think. And so through his experimentation, his first shock with like just seeing what was actually going on, his first introduction to it was rabbits. Now, they were injecting rabbits with cyanide and other harmful things to see what would actually happen to them. And how it affected their bodies. After the rat, after the rabbits, they started doing experimentation on rats with fleas. So they would give fleas this plague of some sort, and they'd leave it on the rats. Rats would get infected. Rats would die. They'd put those fleas on humans to see what would happen, and then they would live dissect, cut open the humans, see how every single organ was infected. And from what I read, it mainly infected their lungs. Their lungs was like a huge, huge part of this. And so, I mean, they're testing out essentially biological warfare in the sense that if you can infect fleas and unleash it onto a population, it could cripple that civilian population or military population just based off of the infection from the fleas that you gave the virus to. Is that that's kind of what you're, you're, you're going? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like. I think their plan when it was fully developed was to essentially just drop dead rats mm-hmm. from planes with fleas on with them. fleas on them, and then it would get into all the, the other stream. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the live dissection part I think is kind of weird uh, for a lot of us to to really comprehend because they're they're doing this, and I know as you guys read, I'm sure you you saw that they use like very minimal anesthesia mm-hmm. and everything like that. They want everything to be very natural. And so these people are in a lot of pain uh, that they're doing this to. Like it's, it, it had to have been completely excruciating. For- it, it's awful. I don't know. I don't, the live dissection thing for me is very hard to read and hard to look at. It, ugh. Yeah, I find it really insane because 
you can actually go and read and even find some pictures of what they were doing. And that's one of the hardest things you could ever stomach. I mean, how people were, were doing these things to other human beings is just insane. And how everything ended is even worse because they don't even know an exact number of people who died. It's estimated that it was around 200,000 to 400,000. That's an insane gap. They don't know what the number is. And it's just because by the time the war was ending, the, the, the unit was burning everything. They, they blew up the compound, uh, their main compound that they worked from. Any, any other Chinese civilians and prisoners that hadn't died or hadn't been experimented on yet, they either shot on spot or just would take um, the samples of diseases that they were injecting into other prisoners and just inject it into those people and try to kill them as quick as possible. And even personnel, people heavily affiliated with the unit or in the unit, were given vials of cyanide in case they were found mainly by the Soviets so that they wouldn't say what they were doing, so that they wouldn't tell anyone what was happening, so that they could just kill themselves instead of having it get out into the public. Yeah, one of the things I find interesting about that is we see that in Germany as well. While these guys, while they're doing these experiments, are they feel very justified and everything else. The second the gig is up and the war is ending in a not-so-favorable way for them, we see them burning all the evidence and destroying it uh, because these were scientific experiments. So what do we know they definitely kept at the time? Detailed records, pictures, video, which is why we still can get some of it. Um in there. And then I, I think what's even more interesting is unlike in Europe, a lot of the stuff that the, the Japanese do here, they don't really get punished for it after the war. There's mm-hmm. very, very few convictions at the Tokyo trials, um, which I think is a fascinating thing. It's, it's really interesting that you mentioned that because when I was reading the, the Soviets were the first to find out about the unit. But they didn't do much about it at first. And then when America came along, they actually granted the unit immunity, which I really wonder why America decided to grant these people immunity. I mean, they were doing some of the most awful things that you could possibly do to people. And then in the Tokyo trials, they really didn't face any punishment until some Soviets actually did speak up on it because they were the first to find out about it. But even then, because of that immunity that America was giving them, they didn't really, um, they didn't receive much punishment for it. 
And not only that, but during America's occupation of Japan so many years after the war, there was a lot of silencing. <laughs> like, America and I guess what was the Japanese government at the time were actually doing a lot to make sure that not too many people knew about these experiments. And it wouldn't be until America really left Japan and they were stable on their own where some of this stuff would start to get out more. I mean, they still have, believe it or not, they still had cases in 2003 and 2018 about this stuff. I mean, in 2018, there was a um, college professor that requested more information on this and said that maybe they should know some of the names of the people in the unit. And they were only able to get about 3,000 names associated with it, not even specifically in the unit, just 3,000 people that were loosely associated. Yeah, I think it's it's kind of crazy to think about how different it was than, say, like the Nuremberg trials. The the Japanese only have 149 <coughs> executions of, of war criminals, uh, and they hold multiple tribunals and everything else. And the U.S. makes, I think, a more poignant effort to, like you said, grant amnesty to some of these uh, scientists. And they, they're going to use some of the discoveries that they make uh, with diseases and everything else in their own research. So I think that's part of the weird part when you start looking at it is there's a lot of inconsistencies with that. When you look at initial trials, I mean, you're only talking like a dozen or so people being convicted of things. Then they have subsequent trials after that that result in about 500 or so convictions and 150 executions. It's really crazy to think that very few people got punished off this. Uh, And it just wasn't as well known. Let me ask you this, a little off topic. Do you think that has more to do with the relationship we were trying to have with Japan or the lack of a relationship we had with China due to the Cold War? And again, that's a, that's a tough one. I asked like, yeah. I asked the, one of the main historians <laughs> at the World War II Museum this over the summer. You know, I think it might be a little bit of both because – We really did help Japan a lot after the war. We were really working hard to grow relations with them. And we neglected China just that much. They really did receive probably some of the worst of it from Japan um, throughout all of this. And America did almost nothing about it. We did very little about it. And I think a very big part of it is just because we didn't care because they're communist. As to where Japan's now this broken nation, we can easily turn them into a capitalist nation. And that's kind of how they are today. I mean, we still have very close ties with them. They're a capitalist nation, and China we don't have the best ties with, and they're still somewhat 
communistic, I guess. Uh, yeah. Yeah. If you look at it to a degree, Close some people enough. see them <laughs> still as communist, even though even though they have billionaires. Exactly. Yeah. So it's their own version. You know, relations just iffy. So I think it might be a little mixture of of both of those things. Yeah, and then you factor in that out of all the Axis powers, Hirohito is the only leader who is not held or would have been held because the rest of Mussolini was murdered, Hitler committed suicide, but he is never put on trial. And that's part of what we were saying is they use him to build this country up uh, as an economic partner in the world. But to your point, they did stuff in the Philippines like this too. And we still didn't convict them. Um, and you could, you could probably guess most of the convictions that happen in the initial tribunals are dealing with American POWs um, and the treatment of American POWs. Uh, even though it was international trials, that was where we went. The other thing that I always like to point out is there's a little fatigue. The Tokyo trials happen a year after the Nuremberg trials. And so there is some like, all right, let's get through this and, and start the world anew. But we learned even with the Nazis that you had people who were in charge of horrible things that lived till like the eighties and nineties. So um, what else do we have on Chinese captives were actually taken care of very well. They were like better than most POWs. They were fed very well. They were taken care of, but Experiments still did happen on them. So it's well, I think that, that the purpose of that is to make sure that they are nourished so that when they do the experiments, it's on a nourished person. I don't know if it's necessarily them treating them better. It's more of just feeding them. No, it's them. definitely for them to be nourished. But Yeah, it's feeding them for a purpose. Um, mm-hmm. And like you guys said, I mean, how many thousand, hundred, they don't even know, 200 yeah. to 400,000 people are in the program. Why do you think these numbers are so hard to point down? And we, we see that with China in general with the war, like the total death toll, we don't know. Mm. Uh, why do you think those numbers are hard? They got they got rid of a lot of their records once they got caught, essentially, and they just needed to get rid of it. Okay. So the Japanese getting rid of records. Uh, and then what about China? Because what happens to China right after the war is we have this civil war that breaks out and obviously Mao Zedong becomes the, the leader of China. And so there's another destruction of records that takes yeah. place in that too. So it's kind of a double whammy. And China was a decentralized state before the war. So I think that, that's um, pretty hard. I guess the, we'll close out on this. Why do you think if this, I mean, because I think this is something that people should learn about. Um, why do you think in American schooling, Effectively, this is not talked about. I, I doubt you would find it in a U.S. history textbook or a world history textbook. Why do you think that is? I'd say part of that uh, might have something to do with the immunity that was granted to it after. Just how favorable the U.S. was working with Japan after the war. And maybe it has something to do with how close of relations we have with Japan Maybe people didn't think it was as big of an idea or as big of a deal because not as many people were convicted in the Tokyo trials as opposed to something like the Nuremberg trials. Um, 
maybe when people are writing their history textbooks, they see the numbers and they think maybe just there shouldn't be as much focus on it because maybe it wasn't as bad of a thing when in reality it was just as bad. And it doesn't really feature Americans. Yeah. Which is the other, I guess, aspect of it. Christian? I also feel like there's a lot of gray area that we just, there's information that we just don't know. And history textbooks and stuff typically like to point out like specific numbers, specific facts. And in that gray area, we just don't have all the information. And we learned about that even when we talked about uh, like the rape of Nam King in class, how the Japanese and Chinese dispute the numbers on that. There was, it was I think in the reading we had, there was like three pages of the guy going over the disputed numbers. Um, part of that deals with the fact of how Japan deals with its history. Japan does not have the same process that Germany has. Germany acknowledges the Holocaust and all these horrible things. Japan, by and large, the way they look at their history is they do not acknowledge a lot of these major catastrophes. I doubt in Japanese textbooks you would find a lot about this medical unit and the people who died or the accounts of especially the people who were in it. So I think that that's a big difference too, that they, they also have a a lack of recognition of, of what they did as opposed to the Germans who were kind of forced throughout the Cold War to acknowledge that. All right. Well, thank you guys. It's a good discussion on a topic that, again, I don't think a lot of people know about that topic. So great job. And this was Tigers by the Fire. And we will talk to you guys another day.